Welcome to our third creator chat. Uh, today we've got a creator who's worked really hard to create comics and to build a community online. I know he's also been very supportive of libraries and very keen to have his graphic novels at libraries. Uh, he writes for kids, YA, and really all ages. So thanks for joining us uh, from Sydney, Stephen Cock. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, it, it's a pleasure to talk to you, actually, because we've talked online a few times, but uh, we've never talked in person. So it's awesome to have you here. Oh, no, thank you. You look, you've been so supportive of my stuff as well. So I really appreciate it. Um, even before this chat, you've been really, really supportive of my work. So thank you. Now, um, the world has shut down and we're on lockdown. So, and I know that you live in the Sydney area. So how are you going? Are you working from home? Are you busier than before? What's <laughs> happening? Oh, it's actually a bit tough. Look, um, currently my contract's frozen. Like I've got my, my day jobs currently frozen. So I'm really hoping for all the res restrictions to live uh, and then I can get back to it. I I'm a contractor. So um, yeah, they told me at the end of the month, look, um, just stay home for a couple of, day a couple of weeks. We'll, we'll call you. So I'm just waiting for everything to lift. Um, the other thing is I do a lot of uh, library workshops and a lot of school school workshops as well. So I visited the school, you know, so as you can imagine, all, all that stopped. So I, I usually visit probably about uh, one or two schools every fortnight or in, uh, one or two library visits every fortnight. Yeah, you know, it's, it's all, I, there's nowhere to go really. Yeah. So I've actually spent a quite a lot of my time doing catching up a lot of writing. So uh, it hasn't been all bad actually. It's, it does feel weird though, <laughs> being stuck at home a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was one of the first few things that we had to do when we closed the libraries to contact all the different, uh, you know, creators, authors, uh, um, all the different guests that we were going to have for different events and say to them, well, we're really sorry, but we're closing down and we have to cancel and we don't know what's happening when we're going to open. That, that, was, that was really hard, you know. I know, I know. Yeah. And, and for me, a lot of those events are a lot of fun because you get to meet people and I, you know, at the after an event, you get to chat, you get to talk to people. It, it, I like one of my happiest memory was after one library event, uh, one dad uh, came up to me. He goes, uh, I don't know if you know, but I actually live close to two hours away from this library. I'm going, what are you doing here? He says, my daughter, she's nine. She found out you were talking here. And she made me drive all the way here, two hours here and two hours back just to meet you. And it's like, you know, it's fantastic. I, that's, I love it. And so after that, I spent a good extra hour just talking to her, talking to the dad and stuff like that. You know, I, I like to talk to the people. So it's, it's a big shame when <laughs> you're stuck at home. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how are you using your time? Because, uh, you know, like some people are desperate to exercise, work, keep busy. Others are quite happy to, you know, this is a chance for me to slow down, read books, watch movies, not do much at all. Where did you sit on this? I'm doing something I should always do. I'll show it to you. Um, I'm editing. So you be, I don't know if you can see all the red marks and stuff. Uh, yeah. But... I'm doing the thing I hate doing, which is basically going through all my work, finding spelling mistakes, grammatical errors, 
she wouldn't say that he wouldn't do that you know and so that's what we spend all my time doing because um i don't like editing and it's very very time consuming and so um i actually look i've got two hours to spare i'm just going to go through and ed- start editing so yeah i've also got a couple of other small editing jobs for a couple of other creators so what i've been doing as well is they've been sending me their scripts and stuff like that so i've been editing for them um it's funny i don't mind editing other people's stuff actually i really enjoy it i hate doing my own stuff because i i i can't can't stand to reread my book it's it's weird i like reading other people things i i just when it comes my own stuff i i cringe (laughs) yeah so um yeah uh editing is actually my my background uh, before libraries is in teaching and also in media studies and i love editing i absolutely love editing but that's video it's different but yeah anyway did you read comics as a kid or do you remember your favorites or the comic that changed everything for you i do actually so um i don't even remember what the issue it was but uh, my mom bought me a batman and robin comic this is oh god 30 35 years back when i was a kid and I loved it. I can't even remember what the issue was. All I remember was it was exciting. You saw the panels. Um, I was originally from Malaysia. So a lot of the, we had a lot of uh, comics which came from China uh, and Japan as well. And those type of comics would, I mean, Batman was the superhero ones, but I was raised in a, in a country where comics were much more a medium as opposed to a genre. So it was, hey, comics are just, pros mixed in with um, images, but um, the US market has taken comics as superheroes mainly. But in, for example, a lot of Chinese comics are very historical. They tell a lot of stories about, you know, ancient Kung Fu masters or ancient kings. And it it actually is a lot of those type of stories. So for me, I I fell in love with the medium as a kid. Um, The Batman comic, uh, some of the Chinese comics, uh, a lot of the Japanese things mainly because they told stories the way I like to, I like to, I like to digest them really. Um, I, and look, I read novels and stuff like that, but if you have given me a choice between reading a comic or reading a novel, man, it's, it's easy. Yeah. For, for me, it's like, uh, uh, I read books. I read lots of books. I read a lot of actually nonfiction as well, but um, for me, every time I read a comic, it's, it just feels, feels comfortable it feels like home you know um and i like what you said about uh the medium because uh growing up in europe you know um european comics for me that's the way i see it you know it's a medium to tell stories and in europe you can find comics on anything there are lots of uh, non-fiction comics but there are also lots of science fiction fantasy noir all sorts of things, all sorts of genres, any genre I'd like is represented. Correct. And I like that. I really like that idea that comics is more a medium to tell a story as opposed to, and I suppose that's where maybe the US market has changed it a little bit. I love superheroes, don't get me wrong. I, I, I still read them. Uh, but I really want to see, like, from the US, more detective stories, you know, more uh, love stories, like, I want to see everything. I want to see just the medium being used to its fullest as opposed to, hey, look, I don't want to read comics. It's just superheroes, which it isn't. It's, it's a really, really good medium. And 
like um, I think as as a librarian, like what are the top selling graphic novels? Reynolds books, you know, uh, yeah. uh, Dog Man. Those have, look, I'll be fair. My my, I've got an eight year old girl. We've got the entire every Reynolds book cup. We've got every Reynolds book. We've got every Dog Man book, and I've read it as well because I read it with her, yeah. and I love it because. Um, it's really using the medium a lot, especially how the Dogman books go, where they have a lot of fun with the medium. You, uh, have you read it, all the Dogman books? Oh, yes, yes. I, I've read them all, and same with Rainer's books. I'm a huge, yeah. huge fan. So, but, yeah. like, you know the Dogman books where they have fun with it? You know how they have the flipperamas, where they actually yeah. use the medium of the book to... Look, you can flip the pages. Michael loves it. And I, I think it's so fantastic that you're using the medium the way it should be used. You're really, like, number one, you could never do that in a, a novel. You can't flick through it. You, and I think I love it. I really love all those books because they are really utilizing the medium as opposed to um, just being a superhero. But it, I think I love it. I really love that the way graphic novels are being portrayed now. I, yeah. I think it's, I, I really hope it all comes back. Yeah, I really think that uh, in the U.S. there's been a huge change away from superheroes, um, um, you know, from all the image stuff, Boom Studios. There's a lot of great stuff that's been published that's really um, different, you know, to, to what the traditional perception of U.S. comics is. So, yeah, that, that's cool. Let's get back to you, though. Um, so... Uh, <laughs> When did you start to write uh, for comics and what, what was the realization or how did you go about it that you thought, yeah, I want to write comics? Okay, um, this, <clears throat> this is back a couple of years back. So um, actually about eight years ago before my daughter was born. So look, uh, as a kid and stuff, you always say, hey, look, I want to write. I want to write for comics. I want one day to have a Marvel contract, a DC contract, you know, whatever. It, you always, it was exciting. And I suppose then life catches up with you a lot. You know, you've got to get the house, the mortgage, you know, <laughs> you've got to worry about how you're going to pay the next bill. You got, you know, and life does catch up with you. But uh, before my daughter was born, I, it came to me that, you know what? If after she, you know, a bit older, she, she asked, daddy, what's your passion? What do you enjoy doing? And I said, oh, I love reading comics. And I still do. And I read a lot of books with her, especially like the Raynards, the Dogman stuff with her. And then she then asked me, did you want to ever want to write? And if I said to her, oh, I've always wanted to write, but I never got around to it. I would, I, you know, I don't think that's the right thing to do. So about when she was born was back when I decided, you know what? I'll take a punt at it. Like, I've got all these outlines and things like that. And I'll be honest with you, I procrastinated for close to a decade. And in, my, in hindsight, I wish I just did it. Um, my first completed script was Tabby. That was the Romeo and Juliet with Cats. That was my first completed script. Um, I got a couple of agents to look at it. And, you know, the, the weirdest thing about that was a lot of the agents, I actually got uh, really good feedback from the agent saying, hey, look, this is it's exciting, it's interesting, you know, the kids will love it, the cats don't talk, it, it, it's different. Um, but nearly every Australian agent, I spoke to, I think, four different Australian agents, yeah. all of them basically said, we like it, but there is no graphic novel industry in Australia. 
I don't know how to market this for you. I don't know even know who to approach approach for you. Yeah. Um, there was one agent who took it up. He decided, you know what? I don't know how I don't know how to do this, but you know, I'm going to give it a go. We got farmed around to about three or four different publishers, and more or less every single Australian publisher actually said, "We don't know how to do this." Yeah. Um, I got put in front of Scholastics and Scholastics, uh, Scholastics Australia. So you can remember, Scholastics is a yeah. big, big company. Scholastics Australia said to me, look, I'll be honest with you, I don't know how to market this in Australia for you. We do have Scholastics graphics, you know, they have a separate imprint, but that's US controlled. Um, you need to apply directly to them. We can't help you with that. Yeah. So after all that, you know, it was a bit discouraging, but it, it, you know, life is, it is what it is. Uh, you know, and then I took the punt. You know what? If I thought, you know what, I'll crowdfund this, you know, get get the artwork done, take the stab at it, and then see what happens. Mm-hmm. Then I got lucky. It actually it got picked up. Um, the the uh, there was one library, and, and I know you know this person, Karen Dawate. Yeah. She has been so supportive. I, uh, you know, I'll, if you let me talk, I'll give you twenty minutes of how fantastic she is. <laughs> yes. But. Like without you, I know she's the one who actually. I think uh, this is back three or four years. She's the one who actually uh, I saw introduced me to you. Actually, if you remember through one of the links. Yes. That's um, right. But yeah, she's been so supportive. She actually said, "Look, Asheville Library would like to pick up some copies." And then from there, it just uh, I was lucky. I found an Australian distributor. They said, "Look, we'll get you to Amazon Book Depository, you know, like the rest of it, you know." And the rest is basically history. When I found out, like it's easier just to go through a small boutique publisher who funnels you directly, yeah. and from there was yeah. And Karen has been fantastic. I, without a doubt, she's been instrumental. And one of the my I think wordsmith of my current books. I was really lucky. It's now in five hundred public libraries all across the world. It's in Singapore. It's in UK. It's in New Zealand. It's in Canada. It's it's great, you know, it's, and I'm really, really, and for me, why I do this is because I want my stories to be told. And what better place than a public library for people to borrow, to enjoy it. And, you know, it makes me happy. It just makes me happy yeah. when and you look on the catalog and you see it's out, it's been borrowed. I love it. Now, I'm going to pose something to you. So, uh, you know, uh, you've done really well in reaching out to libraries and getting your books to libraries. <laughs> So let's forget for a minute that I'm a librarian. Yeah. As an indie writer, is it a good idea to have your books at libraries where people read them for free? What, what do you get out of it? Oh, in, there's two things. In Australia, it's, it's good because Australia has something called uh, public lending rights, which means every copy in a library, you get, uh, I can't remember what it was, like $2 a book or something, um, which is great. Um, it, it does help. And... Every year, you just get that little bit of $2 every year. It, look, it's not much. It's not enough to retire on, but it's nice. It does help out. But more than that, it's why people write, and especially as an indie writer. Um, look, I'll put some really scary numbers to you. You know that. You, you know this. The average published author, published author earns about $30,000 a year. That's the average, absolute average. Um, for people overseas, the average Australian minimum wage is $74,000. Not minimum wage, the median wage is 74000 
please don't quote me. Um, I'm not. So basically what you're saying is if you're a published author, you live below the poverty line in Australia. Mm. So you got to think that uh, it's not why I do it for the libraries is I, I, I want the books to be read. So it also helps that a lot of school kids read, read it. So, uh, for example, Wordsmith is currently in about 300 uh, primary schools in, around Australia. And it lets me get the opportunity to go and talk to the kids. Uh, and I think that's important because, um, honestly speaking, though, if I get nothing else out of all this, one thing I would love to hear 10 years, 20, 30 something years down the track is someone actually says, hey, the reason I became this screenwriter, this actor, this whatever, is because I read something that you wrote 30 something years ago mm-hmm. and I decided to make this happen. If I get one of those, oh man, it would, I'll be honest with you, forget all the money. That would have made it all worthwhile just to know that. One thing I, and I, this gets a little bit more political, <laughs> sorry, but the one thing I find is that and this actually really makes me a bit sad. Arts isn't really that valued nowadays. And I find that a bit saddening that you, um, I rather, and you probably love this, I rather the librarians, the teachers, and all those people who inspire, who build, who create. I want them to earn the big bucks, you know? I want them to be the ones going, what people aspire to. And it's actually slightly different in, say, in um, Asian countries. Uh, in Malaysia, teachers are very well respected. People make their lives to become a librarian, to become a teacher, because there's a lot of respect, a lot of prestige um, along with those jobs. If you go to an Asian country and you say, I'm a teacher, oh man, it's like, oh, sensei, senpai, what, you know, you get that respect straight away and they value it. I just find that again, being built for political Australia, that the value quite isn't there. And even creators in those countries, they, they get the sense that they get valued a little bit more. And I, you know, I, I really want to, to see that build in Australia. And I think it is changing. I think uh, when people realize how important the arts is, yeah. and again, um, just for international audience, it broke my heart. I think a couple of months back, the federal government decided you know what, we don't need a federal department of arts anymore. And they canceled yeah. it. And they merged up. And they merged arts with roads and infrastructure. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, when I heard the news, that broke my heart. It's like, so you value, I'm not saying that roads aren't important, don't get me wrong, but you're merging the arts department. You're not you're giving them your own name, you're merging them with the roads and infrastructure. And <laughs> yeah, I think to be honest, um, when when I read the news about that, I first uh, first I had to actually go to the internet and fact check it and make sure that that was actually true because to me it sounded like you know something from the Onion or you know the Chaser or something like that. It sounded like yeah. a fake uh, news item, you know. How can you put arts, um, you know, with roads and infrastructure? To me, it was completely incomprehensible. But yes, it's actually true that they did it. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. Uh, um, uh, um, uh, so what's your advice for indie publishers? So what's the best way to get their books to um, notice and into libraries? Because you, you've been quite well, successful in doing that. 
Well, the f- that's a couple of things. And look, I have a very good uh, editing team. I've got a lot of really good beta readers and things like that. And this is this may sound a bit harsh, but you have to let people read your work. And I know a lot of people are very possessive, very not possessive, but well, very protective of their work. Um, you have to let it go. And look, I'll be honest with you. My first few drafts were absolute rubbish, absolute rubbish. I, I like so that that's why I hate editing my work because I look back on it and I cringe. It was really, really bad stuff. And it is, and it will always be. Don't get me wrong. Your first draft, um, it's going to be bad. And I'll just put it out there. You know, you're not going to write your masterpiece on your first go. It just won't happen. So a lot of people, when you get it, you need to let it read. And then you, you have to be a bit honest with yourself because I have quite a lot of, um, I am part of a lot of groups. So a lot of people do come to me and ask me for to check advice. I'm very, very constructive in my advice and stuff like that. But I sometimes have to say, hey, look, you do need to make it slightly better before once and look in terms of li- against in libraries, uh, there are some key criteria. And this is thank you, Karen again. Um, ISBN, it has to be perfect bound. It can't be stapled. It has to be in a format where it can be represented. I mean, it can be borrowed, cannot be damaged. And the other thing would be is it has to be. You have to know your audience. That's probably the main thing. I've got stories where people are trying to pitch to kids and there's nudity in it. And I'm going, you realize you've just canceled what you want by putting a nudity scene in there. And those, and I said, look, I've got nothing wrong with those things, especially if it's integral to the story. If you need that scene, it's great. But just note that you're not going to pitch to primary schools or even high schools if you have nudity in one of your books. It just won't happen. And it could be the most tasteful nudity. It could be the most important part of the story. But just understand where your audience sits. So yeah. if you get your ISBN, you get your perfect power, know your audience, know your work as well. The rest will come, I think, pretty easy. And I, again, like I said, I was very lucky Karen was supportive. And it does help to be really good to have one librarian support you because that opens up inroads to other librarians, other libraries, other schools, and it has a really nice flow and effect. Yeah. Now, you're, you're running a Kickstarter for the second volume of Terra Olympus, uh, and that's current right now. So uh, I really enjoyed the first one, so I'm really looking forward to the second. How, how's um, the Kickstarter going? What can you tell us about the project? Oh, look, it's going pretty well, actually. I'm actually really surprised. Um, uh, mainly because of how the world is now, uh, I thought it was, it's going, and look, at, again, you, my thank you to everybody out there who supported, shared links, everything. It, it makes it worthwhile, you know, having all the, all the assistance to make it happen. Uh, can you give me one second? I just need to grab something. One second. Yeah, no worries. Um, so while Stephen um, is off screen, um, I'll... I'll just say that uh, he's publishing two books this year, I believe. So um, we're going to hear more about that soon. Yeah. Sorry, something was beeping in the background. I just wanted to take a look at it. Um, So um, my my, uh, background degree, so what I studied at university was IT. So the one reason I really enjoyed uh, writing Terra Olympus 
um, and I think I'm, I'm, you've read it, so I'm hoping that um, you can see it as well. There's actually a lot of IT, proper IT terminology and the way the approaches happen. For example, in IT, you have a lot of what they call events that happen in, in this, any given computer system. So if you look at your laptop, there's, you know, you can actually get a lot of data, how fast your fan turns, you know, what the heat of the computer, computer uh, chip is, and they are called events. If an event passes through a certain parameter, it then becomes an incident. For example, if the fan, if the temperature of the CPU is 40 degrees, that's fine. What happens at 50? What happens at 60? What happens at 70? And a lot of the concepts I actually put in the Terra Olympus um, were all actually proper computer concepts in terms of networking and things like that. So I think I had a lot of fun with it. That I, um, there's stuff like high availability where you have two parallel systems running. So, and the reason I also enjoyed it was a lot of the technology that's in Terra Olympus are actually real world tech. So the design of the space station is actually um, what they call the helix systems, which are actually real NASA designs. The spaceship that's used is actually very similar to a current, how NASA would have designed it if we had the money to do it. A lot of other stuff, especially in volume two, how to generate oxygen. So there's something called artificial chlorophyll. So we, you know, and I love it because uh, one of the things I, that really fascinates me is space travel. So I have actually been doing a lot of research into real world tech, real world space travel, real, how things would happen and how a, what they call a closed loop system would work. So yeah. if you actually read through some of the bits, it actually runs through that from A to B. And I love it. I love writing because it's, I get to research and it's actually some, uh, one topic I love researching. I, my absolute dream is still to see the curvature of the earth. And I think it will happen within the next 10, 20 years. They'll yeah. have space tourism and I would love it to, you know, just see, be able to see the earth from space. Just a quick question on Terra Olympus. Um, is there a plan to how long the series is it's going to be? Is it like it's a three volume series or it's I don't know? Or... Oh, uh, it's, um, oh, I'll, I'll take the one step back though. Uh, uh, everything I write, I write with the ending in, in mind. So um, I, one thing I find, um, I don't enjoy writing is pure serial, pure um, bold and the beautiful, uh, where it's neighbors, that type of type of genre, where it's you just come up with a new plot line every week, or the, or the serialized comics. I'm honestly, in terms of writing, I'm actually not a big fan of that, where you just have the characters go on different adventures all the time. Because I, what I find is it limits the writing in terms of the stakes that you can't actually say, um, that's why I, I think one of uh, J.K. Rowling's, uh, you know, she, she did an amazing job because I honestly think she had the end in mind before she started Harry Potter. And I, and I think it made all the books so much better for it that there were all the linkages knowing how it's going to end. Yeah. So just in terms of Terra Olympus, uh, I have the end in mind already. So. It's, I'm guessing it's going to take about six or seven volumes, but I didn't know exactly how it's going to end. I know where Mia's going to end up. Um, I can tell, you know, I won't spoil anything, but it's whenever I write, I don't like to write 
continual serial, uh, serial, serialized work, I always have the end in mind. And yeah, um, I know how it ends. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. Um, uh, and I think you're also planning to publish Wordsmith Volume 2 this year. Uh, how's that going? And will that be through Kickstart as well? When can we expect it? Oh, so Volume 2 actually went on Kickstarter last December. So it's... I miss it. Proof copy. I missed <laughs> it. Oh my God. That's so the, embarrassing. So the proof, so the proof copy, uh, it was uh, launched last December. So uh, give it a couple of weeks. I've already submitted for distribution. So the publisher will take care of all that. And I'll, I'll let, we can talk offline. But yeah. Um, so... Uh, Wordsmith actually the really good news for it. Um, it got picked up by an animation company in Sydney. So the problem about it is, so I completed the Bible and the rest of it submitted through. The only issue I have was that they were going to take it to, there's two big conventions that happened in terms of um, animation. One was in, I think was in March, um, that was missed. Uh, unfortunately, you know, with the world, the world's list, that was missed. And the next one in June has been cancelled as well. So um, what happens with a lot of these things, the animation company was planning to take it up there, see if they get what they call broadcast, broadcaster interest. So they can say, hey, look, Netflix, um, Comic Network, Cartoon Network, sorry, Cartoon Network and all the rest of it, are you interested in this? So unfortunately, that that pipe dream of mine looks like it's going to be delayed for another, honestly speaking, probably another six months to a year. What I was really hoping to was come June to say, hey, look, I've got an animation contract all signed. Yay. We're going to do a pilot for Wordsmith. But yeah, it looks like it's been delayed at least, at least six months, realistically a year. So, Yeah. Oh, that, that's a shame. But um, wow, I don't know how. What the hell happened at the end of the year for me? I somehow missed that. Um, I need to catch up on that and I will order it for sure. Uh, okay. Uh, now, I've noticed that all your projects are creator-owned, published by yourself. Do you ever see yourself with a big publisher writing for an ex uh, for established property? Um, I do, actually. There's a small publisher in Melbourne who I do work for, uh, Comics to Movies. Um, I do a bit of that. Uh, look, I would love to. Um, if the main thing would be is happy to tell my stories, happy to tell other people's stories. I've written for a lot of different anthologies, um, other people's characters and things like that, and I enjoy it. I really do. Um, I'm open, basically. If anybody is interested, um, in terms of other IP, I'm more than happy to. That's why I said that the dream is to get that contract from... Uh, a big publisher say, hey, look, write this character. I, I would love that. Hmm. Cool. Uh, so uh, at the end, because I know you have to go soon, so uh, I'd like to ask, um, you know, three books that you've read recently that you want to talk about, if you have. Okay, so one I've just been um, halfway reading, there's a uh, science fiction writer. He writes Babylon 5, J. Michael Stranzinski. So I really enjoyed Babylon 5. And he actually had a long run of Spider-Man comics. And actually, I was lucky enough. I actually found the trade paperback of his Spider-Man series. And I'm working my way through it. And I have to say, it's really good. I'm really, really enjoying that. 
Um, I'm trying to find, because I've started watching Alter Carbon on Netflix. You can see I'm actually going through a lot of sci-fi phase. Yep. I'm trying to find those books. And I think my next read will 100% be uh, that series because it, it, I love it. It's a whole fascinating of um, downloading consciousness, in, you know, um, um, just in case people don't know. Um, Alter Carbon has the idea that um, you have a chip in your head, which basically stores all your memories, your personality, which means your what they call your sleeve or your body is inconsequential because you can drop bodies um, and it allows you for long space travel because rather than your body having to travel the distance, they just send your, your chip across, you know, through whatever transmission method. I look, I love it. I think it's such a fantastic concept. And um, probably the last one, which I'm uh, currently reading is, um, we've got, it's more kids, but uh, I'm reading a lot of books with Michael. So like I said, we, I think there's one or two of the Reynolds Babysitter's Clubs we haven't read. <laughs> I'm trying to work my way through it. Um, I cannot say enough about Reynolds books. Uh, it, it, it's, there's so much heart in it. And I, even, even for me, I'm, I'm a cynical 40-year-old guy. I, I love it. It's, especially with my goal, just, just to see the character. It's, um, a lot of radar books are so character-driven. It's just, and just to see the character start from. You can just see, and of course I do a lot of the writing things, to see them go through what they call, and I think you know this, the hero's journey where they start off with the floor, they have to work through it, they argue with their friends that have the whole conflict, and then they become better because of it. Oh, man. Um, it might seem very, very simple, but the way it's presented, the way it's written, even for, you know, you think it's a kid's, a, a teenage girl babysitter's club uh, book, I would say a lot of writers could learn, and me included, don't get me wrong, I'm learning from it, read it and go oh my god i have to be able to apply that type of character development into what i write because it's fantastic I, i'm yeah I, I look I'm i have to say like uh, when i discovered her books and obviously um i'm not the target audience either you know but uh when i discovered her books i was blown away and she she makes it look so easy you know but um but uh she's really nailed it and then I actually gave her books to, to my wife. She's read them. She loves them. Um, my, my kid's nine, um, an eight-year-old boy, and he loves them as well. So we're, we're, we're big fans in this house as well. Uh, now, um, thank you for joining us today. So um, what's the best way for people to keep up with your projects and what's happening? Oh, look, they and I'll send you the links. You can probably put the link in the comments, the, you know, yeah. description below. Um, Facebook's probably the best way. I've got a Facebook page. I post a lot of stuff on there and also on my website. And I'll send both links to, to you after this. You can put them in the description. Um, yeah, reach out to me. And look, I'm actually very, very accessible in terms of things. So people send me an email, send me bits and pieces. I will do my absolute utmost to reply. Um, look, I know you fact, do. It will make me very, very happy reply i know you do you've always been really good at uh, communicating talking to different people putting people together so yeah mm -hmm. thank you for your time really really appreciate it um take care and stay safe yeah thank you yeah see ya okay thanks see ya